happy June 1st to all of you. Thank you for joining in on my podcast. I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. I certainly did. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about Saturday. Since this podcast is about music, so was my Saturday night. Got to sit back and enjoy listening to some R&B classic oldies from the 70s and 80s with some friends of mine, and man, was it a treat. You know, some of the 70s songs that we listen to, uh, The Temptations, The Four Tops, The OJs, The Shy Lights, oh, it was amazing. And then, you know, going into the 80s, which, you know, I started DJing in 79, so from 79 on up, man, those were, those some of those groups brought back memories. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Shock, uh, Invasions, um, Tina Marie, Rick James, uh, boy, a lot of great songs, uh, great time, good time to reminisce, thinking about uh, the past, because you know, like I said, music is a time machine, it's a modern day time machine, and I love it, I love it, so anyway, this is podcast number five, thank you for joining me, I really, truly appreciate it, this podcast is going to be uh, two famous U.S. recording studios. But let's go back to music. And, you know, I, I say it all the time. It's amazing. It's a part of everyday life. You know, for me it is. It surrounds us, surrounds me wherever I go. Whether I'm in my car, in my home, walking around in a shopping center, and music is always playing. It's, it's somewhere. Uh, and, you know, some of us got to have it. Some of us can live without it. Some of us think music is beautiful, and some of us think it's just a bunch of, well, you know, it's a bunch of noise. Now, for me, music, um, I love all kinds, but I do not like heavy metal or metal. I don't like emo uh, music. I don't really care for classical. I mean, I'll listen to that a little bit, but, you know, if I don't, if I had a choice, I wouldn't be listening to classical music. And um, indie music, it's okay. You know, for me, I like country music. Um, I like the old stuff, the stuff that I grew up with in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The 90s, to me, didn't really put out a whole lot of great stuff. I mean, when you ask me what song or group from the 90s that I really enjoyed or that stands out in my mind, I really don't have one. And I, and I don't know why. I really don't. Um, into the 90s was, for me personally, not a great decade. And, you know, today's music, I could live without it. You know, the reason why I listen to it still, because I have to, I, you know, I DJ, um, and I have to stay up to date on today's music. So anyway, let's get back to music. You know, um, as far as music goes, music is more than just song itself. You have the artists who write the song, and then you have artists who just sing the song. And then you have some artists that do both. But what about the forgotten, you know? The men and women behind the music. You know, the ones that don't usually get the credit they deserve. The ones that are in that, you know, brick and mortar building that produce the music or arrange it mix it, you know, the engineers, those people, and then you've got the people 
within the sound recording studio, the studio musicians. Um, you know, and this podcast is just about that, about these two famous recording studios. One is on the West Coast, one is in the Midwest, one is still operational, and the other isn't. Now, the first one I want to talk to you about um, is a recording studio called Fame Records, and it sits alongside the Tennessee River, and it is to the home of the Swampers. The Swampers are the name of the studio musicians that help the artists record their music. Um, the original location is now a museum, and it's not fully operational, but at night, they do still sometimes use it as recording studio. The main recording studio now is just a few miles down the road from where the old location was. But this recording studio, you know, the one where the museum is at now, is, uh, some people say it's the breeding ground for some of America's most defiant music. It's the music of Muscle Shoals, and that changed the world. And some people say that it's the birthplace of rhythm, or rhythm and blues. Some of the many famous recording artists that have recorded there, and hopefully some of these artists will sound familiar to you. Um, you have the Almond Brothers, which was a great Southern rock group of the 70s. Uh, the Rolling Stones, huh? <laughs> Aretha Franklin. Queen of Soul, Leonard Skinner, Steve Winwood, Jimmy Cliff, Alicia Keys, Bono, Percy Sledge, Paul Simon, Wilson Pickett, Clarence Carter. Does that sound familiar to you? Clarence Carter? Well, he was a saxophonist for Bruce Springsteen, E Street Band. He passed away quite a while ago. Um, but he had a big solo hit in the 80s with Jackson Brown called You're a Friend of Mine. Uh, you've got Etta James who recorded there, Lou Reed, Otis Redding, Bob Dylan, Chris Christopherson, Rod Stewart, Bob Skaggs, Linda Ronstadt, and the list just goes on. Now, Paul Simon recorded the big hit Kodachrome there. Uh, the Staple Singers um, recorded their one big hit, I'll Take You There, at that recording studio. And Wilson Pickett, uh, two of the big hits that they recorded there. Land of a Thousand Dances and Mustang Sally. Both great songs. Um, Mustang Sally, you know, when, when I think of that song, I think about when I DJ uh, and when I want to get people out on the dance floor. Uh, Mustang Sally is one of those songs that everybody is familiar with and uh, they love to dance to that. I mentioned the Rolling Stones earlier. Um, their album, Sticky Fingers, was recorded there. Now, the Swampers were white musicians, okay? And when Paul Simon wanted to record his album there, he called Al Vale of Stax Records. And he said, hey, Al, I want those black musicians uh, called the Swampers. And Al said, hey, Paul, they're actually white. They're not black. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. You couldn't believe it. Well, you know what? I want him anyway. So Paul Simon used him on his album. Now, the Swampers were uh, Roger Hodkins on drums, who sadly passed away last week. Uh, Jimmy Johnson on rhythm guitar. 
David Hood on bass, Spooner Oldham. He was a writer and he also did keyboards. And then you have the founder of the Swampers, Recall. He was uh, the founder, like I said, and also a producer. Now, out of the um, studio of Muscle Shoals, um, Stacks Records, uh, they produced over 350 top hits. That's quite an achievement. And you know, back in the day, uh, the early 70s, there were many black acts that wanted to record their music. And a lot of recording studios would take them because of the racial strife that was going on. But you know, Rick Hall gave them a chance. And you know, that took a lot of guts. Um, but it was a gamble that he was willing to take. And it really paid off. Um, a lot of them had huge hits. Um, thanks to Rick Hall. Now, if the name of the Swampers sound familiar, well, it really should. Um, remember the song Sweet Home Alabama? Can't forget that one by Leonard Skinner. Well, Leonard Skinner uh, mentions the Swampers in, their, in the song, part of the lyrics. Uh, it goes like this. Uh, it says, Now Muscle Shoals has Swampers, and they've been known to pick a song or two. Yes, they do. Lord, they get me off so much, they pick me up when I'm feeling blue. How about you? And there's a little background on Stax Records out in Muscle Shoals. The other recording studio I want to talk to you about is right here in California. It's actually in Northern California. It's called The Record Plant in Sausalito. Uh, formerly known as Sausalito Recording Studio, it opened up in 72, and it was the third in the chain. The first uh, one was in New York, and then there was one in L.A. Those two are still operational. But like I said, the one in Sausalito is no longer there. And that's that's a real shame. This recording studio has a huge West Coast history behind it. Um, Bob Marley recorded there, as well as Fleetwood Mac, Whitney Houston, Linda Ronstadt, America. John Fogarty did a lot of his solo work there. ACDC, Santana, Van Morrison, Huey Lewis, and the News, Fly in the Family Stone. Jefferson Airplane, who I mentioned about in my last podcast, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, Rick James. Matter of fact, Rick James um, helped produce an Eddie Murphy song back in the 80s that was a huge hit, a one-hit wonder called Party All the Time. And actually, uh, Rick James helped produce that at the record plant, and he also did some background vocals on that song as well. Um, Also, Yoko Ono and John Lennon recorded an album there, and they actually showed up through their recording session dressed like trees, believe it or not. And Prince, the great Prince, who I believe is one of the greatest guitarists of all time, he recorded uh, his first album there, and the name of that album was called For You. Also, the Eagles recorded Hotel California, that album. Guns N' Roses recorded their first huge mega album, Appetite for Destruction. Now, this studio, the record plant, uh, was just under 11,000 square feet, and it was designed to give the artists a place to relax during their recording process, trying to take away the pressures of your typical studio, allowing artists to be creative. Uh, It had a really home feel, you know, uh, 
dim lighting, uh, diagonal wet, redwood uh, paneling, um, hot, a lot of couches, a lot of pillows. Um, it had a jacuzzi. It had billiard tables. And it was trying to relieve some of the recording pressures and create a living room atmosphere, you know, take away uh, the pressures of recording an album. There was also chefs that were hired by the recording studio to cook meals for the artists. Um, and they would always cook the artist's favorite meals, you know, make them feel at home. And out in the back, there was a basketball court just outside the back. So uh, when the artist wanted to take a break, they could go out and relieve some of their stress and get some basketball going out there. Uh, interesting thing about this recording studio, on hand it had nitrous oxide uh, mixed with oxygen and that was supposed to be the pretext that the gas was critical to some of the recording artists in their process of recording albums. And the Grateful Dead made a lot of use of this nitrous oxide. Uh, the studio also had what they called the pit. And it was a, a room that was about 140 square feet total that was sunken 10 feet into the foundation and there was no windows and there was a lot of psychedelic murals. And it was more of an escape for the artists. Um, you know, artists needed time to break away from the stress of recording an album. And they would go into the pit. And in 19, um, up till about 1976, not too many people knew about the plant uh, recording studio. It was a best kept secret until Fleetwood Mac recorded their uh, mega album, uh, Rumors. And when that came out, the secret was no more. Matter of fact, an interesting story comes about in the recording of this album. You know, at the time, or before that time, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham were dating, and, you know, they had a very toxic relationship, and when they started recording this album, they broke up. Well, Stevie Nicks needed a break from, you know, the grind of recording, and she decided to go into one of the small side rooms off to the side with her keyboard and a cassette recorder, and in 20 minutes, she recorded, uh, wrote and recorded on the cassette recorder the big hit dreams and that song is basically about the breakup of her and Lindsay took her 20 minutes to write it she came back into the recording studio and said hey look what I came up with and with a few adjustments and help of your producer mixer and arranger in the recording studio they came up with that mega hit dreams now when it came out on the album you know it did fairly well but then there was kind of a reborn, a rebirth of that song during the pandemic. Um, and I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, Nathan Apodaca, who's a big TikTok user, uh, he was a worker in Idaho in a potato warehouse. Um, with the help of a skateboard and the help of Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice and a simple 23-second video led to the rebirth of the song Dreams. And matter of fact, once that came out and exploded, Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood got into the TikTok action and created their own music video for Dreams. The power of music. It's amazing what music can do. 
so that's it. Those are my two recording studios that I wanted to talk about. And as I usually do towards the end of my podcast, talk about this day in music. Let's go back to the year 1968, the single Mrs. Robinson from Simon and Garfunkel, which was used in the Academy Award-winning movie The Graduate, won a Grammy for Best Record of the Year. And then shoot all the way up to 75, 1975, Ronnie Wood replaces Mick Taylor as lead guitarist for the Rolling Stones. And here's one that I bet a lot of you can relate to. Back in 1999, on this date, a streaming program called Napster got its start. I know there's people today that use Napster. I've got a good friend of mine who uses Napster. And that was the beginning of the music streaming service. You know, and with Napster, you could share music files. And of course, the music industry wasn't too thrilled about it. But from Napster came Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music, you know, and iTunes. But Napster was uh, the beginning of uh, the streaming of music. And one last music trivia going back to, since I mentioned Stevie Nicks, I thought I would share this with you. Do you know what song uh, that she listened to inspired her to write her big hit, Stand Back? Well, the song was Little Red Corvette by Prince, and the story goes, she was driving around in L.A., and the song Little Red Corvette came on, and all of a sudden in her mind, she started creating the lyrics and the music to her big hit, Stand Back, and to retain that memory, she pulled into a local electronic shop, probably a radio check, and got herself a tape recorder and recorded Stand Back in her car. And side note on Little Red Corvette, some of you, if you don't know what that song is about, well, Prince wrote the song, and it's not about a Little Red Corvette. As a matter of fact, um, Little Red Corvette is basically... Uh, a metaphor for a girl's private parts. And it's actually a very sexual song. So there you go. There's a little bit of music trivia, a little bit dated history. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. My next podcast will be on June 15th. And I'll be looking into two famous studio musician groups. The Wrecking Crew and Toto. Always remember, keep the music alive. Thank you again. Have a great day.